and welcome to Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation to share their stories, perspectives and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. This episode explores gait impairment, a common symptom of Parkinson's that can involve slowness, muscle stiffness and freezing, and how it impacts people living with the condition. Our first guest is David Little, who lives in Carlisle, UK. Having previously worked as a firefighter, David was diagnosed with Parkinson's back in 2005. David has experienced firsthand the effects of gait impairment in his day-to-day life and says he's keen to challenge the misconceptions that can surround the condition. He is joined by Dr. Martina Mancini from Italy, who works as Assistant Professor of Neurology at the Oregon Health and Science University in the US. Martina has worked on numerous studies about gait impairment and has also investigated the role wearable devices can play in treatment. David and Martina discuss what causes gait impairment, share advice on managing these symptoms, and explore how current research is addressing this topic. This episode was funded by Charco Neurotech, the company behind Q1, a wearable medical device designed to help alleviate gait impairment and support movement in people with Parkinson's. My name is David Little, I'm 56 years old. I'm from Carlisle in uh, Cumbria, which is north of, north of England. I live with my wife, Helen, I have Parkinson's. I was diagnosed in 2005, so I've lived with it for quite a long time. I think I do quite well looking after myself and uh, continuing just to, just to sort of not let it get on top of you. Hello, I'm Martina Mancini. I live in Portland, Oregon with my husband, Pablo. I'm assistant professor in the Department of Neurology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon and I co-direct a balance disorders laboratory with two other researchers and physical therapists. David, can you share a little bit about yourself? For example, when you were diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, how old were you and what were your initial symptoms? Yes, I can, I can, I can remember it quite clearly, really. I was uh, 39 years old. I was one week off my 40th birthday. I had this little uh, twitch in my um, right index finger when I first went. I think that's probably why it took so t- took them so long to f- to find out what was actually wrong with me because my symptoms weren't that weren't that bad really. They were, ve- they were very very mild. I've been going through tests for two years beforehand. Uh, I sort of walked in and he said you've got Parkinson's. I never actually thought anything of it. I just I did, it didn't even register. I just totally ignored it and just put it back in my mind and just forgot about it. And uh, since then th- things have got I wouldn't say really worse, but. They've progressed a little bit, and uh, I think the, big, the biggest miss for me was that I used to be—I was a firefighter when I, uh, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's. So obviously, I, I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. So I actually retired for five years before I got a bit bored with it all, and uh, just I look for—I look for a job. I, I saw this job for a volunteer coordinator. I thought, well, that sounds interesting. To care and support charity, we support um, unpaid carers, but we support them in sort of anything that we can that we can do for them to sort of make their lives easier because they have a really hard life. They aren't paid to do it because people people just expect you to do it, don't they? So they sort of like fall into it and uh, we try and help them as much as we can. This is wonderful to hear about this and very needed in the field. Can I ask you one more question? Why do you want to talk about how Parkinson affect gait? I think a lot of people a lot of people have, have this false misconception of Parkinson's that it's it's all the old people that um, it affects younger people probably probably a lot more because it's sort of frustrating to when it, it happens it's just it's being stood in stood, stood in the supermarket and they're trying to get through the checkout and there and suddenly you feel as if you get you can't move your feet because because the glue to the floor and the more you try to move it the worse it gets and 
ended up stumbling and falling over and I've been accused of being drunk in like public places and things like that. And I've actually got a friend who was stopped by the police because he'd been to he'd been to fill his car up with petrol. As soon as he pulled out the petrol station, they sort of blue lights behind him, stopped him, questioned him what, what was going on. He says, I'm not drunk, I've got Parkinson's. I think we need to raise a bit more awareness of being, for people of uh, just how Parkinson's can affect younger people. So, Martina, how did you get involved with Parkinson's and uh, what drew you to do the job that you do now? So when I was in college, I, I wasn't sure that I was going to go in research. And uh, I saw a seminar on Parkinson's disease in 2005. And uh, I was really struck by some of the uh, gait impairment that people with Parkinson may experience. And that paired together with a willingness to help improving daily life got me very interested in research in Parkinson's disease. And I'm still here. Do you have any um, personal links to Parkinson's? Or anything? Does it really your family or anything like that? Yeah. No, I don't have a personal connection to Parkinson. It's something that really sparks from uh, um, coming from my job and, and, and doing research and working in uh, the laboratory with people with Parkinson's disease. I mainly work in uh, trying to use use new wearable technologies to characterize gait problems in people with Parkinson and also how technology can be used every day to um, improve gait problems at home. This is one of my ultimate goals. I think, I think one of the things about wearable technology, is that you, you can probably do it internationally, can you, the, the research in there? You do it over, over, over the internet, I suppose. Yes, David, that, that's a very good point. Now, with both wearable technology, all the Zoom and <laughs> meetings that we have been having, it's definitely easier to connect all over the world. We have some studies where we are sending some wearable technology across the states. We haven't crossed internationally yet, but maybe it's a possibility in the near future. So I think I'd, I'd look quite, I'd really look quite forward to that, yeah. I would obviously put my name down to join in. So. I might take you up on that. <laughs> How can Parkinson's impact your gait and what causes the symptoms? That's a, a very complex question somehow, but... The typical manifestation of Parkinson's disease, such as the bradykinesia, the rigidity, the reduced amplitude of movements, as well as the reduced automaticity of movement, can all affect gait pattern. In fact, people can start showing reduced gait speed and reduced stride length, which is basically how big of a step you take. But also, there is an increase in impaired rhythmicity of movement. And often those gait problems start unilateral, meaning sometimes people report that also one side of the body is more affected by the Parkinson. So initially we see an increase in variability of gait. So steps are not always the same length, but they tend to be either short or long together. And that's what is increasing variability. We notice asymmetry of gait. And we also notice changes in the way people turn, probably also due to the rigidity. Later on, the gait symptoms start to appear bilaterally and is where we observe also reduction in stride length, further impairment in gait variability and in upper body movement. And another gait difference is reduction in arm swing. And that is something that is visible early on together with changes in turning. Later on, there are also symptoms as freezing of gait that you just described, David, very properly. In fact, that's what we hear from people is that the feet are glued to the floor 
and there is this impossibility to move forward. And so those together are kind of like what we see as the main gate problems in people with Parkinson. Of course, paired with reduced balance during walking or the smoothness of walking that is decreased. The mechanism of gait problems in Parkinson's disease are still not completely understood. They are very complex and uh, studies have been found that is not one area on the, in the brain that is contributing or causing gait problems, but they are multiple areas in the brain. Gait problems tend to worsen as the disease progresses and uh, together with a reduction in automatic movement in general, so we often hear people reporting that they have to think more about each step that they take. And that's what we, when we talk about reduction in automaticity, is when you really have to think about each step when before they were automatic and you didn't have to think about it. Gate problems profoundly affect everyday life because they might cause a major burden and affect independence. If you think about how you move every day, you take many steps, you take turns, and if you can't do that or you can't do that safely, there might be uh, falls down to the ground that have a profound impact in mobility and immobilization at home over the years. So we really need to try to prevent those falls and try to foster independence um, during daily life. I definitely see a lot of my own symptoms in what you just described. My, my problem is that I, I am, I suppose it's a problem, but I still run. So when I tend to fall, I tend to do it at high speed and uh, hit the ground very hard. So I've broken, finger, I've broken fingers before and uh, just running and trying to stop myself because I've fallen over. You put your hands out in front of you and just try and stop yourself, don't you, if you start to fall. But... Unfortunately, my, my reactions aren't as quick as, the, as, the, as they used to be. So I've, I've, I've noticed that when my feet stick to the floor, the harder I try to move, the worse it gets. David, are there specific triggers for your freezing of gait? So it's often when I'm tired. I, I find it, it's, if I'm feeling tired, it's a lot worse. And also, if I get distracted by something, my wife tells me off when I'm trying to... I, I still got it in my head that I can text, I can text people on the phone and uh, walk at the same time, but... Can't do that. No, if there's too many two things to do at once, it's, it's sort of that's that's when that's when it's most likely to happen. You brought up a very good point, which is actually talking or texting and walking. What we see also early on in people with Parkinson's disease is the difficulty in doing two things at the time. So, for example, walking and uh, talking at the same time, it becomes harder. Definitely, I can definitely vouch for that one, yeah. Although, saying, saying that about walking and talking, I can actually, I can run and sing at the same time. Yes, that's a, that's a very important point, because your singing could be seen as a cue, and so you can sing and accompany walking together. You mentioned uh, cueing, so could, could you maybe go into a bit more depth of uh, what cueing is and how it works? Yes, with pleasure. It's one of my favourite topics, actually. Cueing is defined as uh, uh, the use of external stimuli, um, such as uh, audio, visual or tactile stimuli uh, to facilitate movement, for example, to facilitate gait initiation or gait continuation. It's one of the strategies most used in physical therapy as well for rehabilitation, and uh, it really helps uh, with, the, with keeping the rhythm of uh, right and left step ongoing um, and avoiding very sudden uh, breaks. So cueing have been used for a long time um, in the form of what we say open loop, which is 
either kind of like the beat of the metronome or the beat of music or some visual line in the floor to select a stride length or even tactile stimuli in different parts of the body. Many years ago, I started working on um, what we call closed loop cueing, which is something that is driven by every step that a person makes. And uh, at every step, we deliver a tactile cue to the upper body, specifically to the hands or wrist. And we found that this tactile stimulation related to every step is actually helping preventing to get a freezing of gait episode. And so not only we found less freezing of gait episode when using the tactile cue, also we found a reduction in the severity of the episode that was happening. However, the studies are for now limited in the laboratory. We haven't been able to bring um, this device uh, in the home or during everyday life. Freezing is uh, also hard to quantify um, in a laboratory because uh, it can happen so suddenly and it can be triggered by many different things. So in the laboratory, we mainly focus on those episodes that occur when a person is changing direction, which might not be the only one that uh, occur in daily, in daily life. For example, people report that in daily life or at home, there are also some hot spots that might cause freezing inside the house. And definitely we lose that perspective in the laboratory. But that's why with wearable technology, we really can push forward and try to identify freezing episodes during daily life and try to have a queuing device that could sense and act only when it's needed. Not only for freezing, but also to increase that stride length or to improve the rhythmicity of walking. Thanks, Martina. That was that was that was really really good. Uh, once once again, I, I can recognise a lot of the things that you said about um, hot spots. We, we have it's in our kitchen where it's really narrow, and I, I can never get through it. I've tried. I, I, I try every day just to get that a little bit further, but it just if it gets narrow, you just can't do it. One of the strangest things I've noticed is, is a pattern on the floor, parquet flooring. I think it's called. Yeah, that that, that just drives me nuts. I just can't. Uh, I can't walk on that at all. No, no matter how hard I try it, and no matter how. I'm just trying to, trying to ignore it and just cut, sort of block it out, but I just can't. It, things like walking from carpet to hard floor and things like that, it just different uh, surfaces and things like that, it just throw, just made, made me go haywire. And uh, that makes freezing definitely worse. People often say to me, have, have you got a problem with walking? Not really, it's just it's walking on level ground that I have a problem with. I, I, I could run up and down stairs all day. If the ground's fairly level, if I go for a run on the sort of on the grass when it's just slightly, just slightly uneven, that, causes, that can cause a big problem. That is a very good point. We had also other people reporting differences in flooring also when you pass from, from, for example, from carpet to tile or uneven floors. And that is also related to the complexity of freezing. There has been many hypotheses out there in trying to identify the mechanism behind the freezing of gate. And um, it's a mix of of different aspects of sensory, of motor, but also affective aspect as well. Anxiety is also a factor on that. You're listening to episode 16 of series two of the Parkinson's Life podcast with David and Martina, funded by Charco Neurotech. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. 
David, how do you manage gate problems in your daily life? It's so unpredictable and it just, it just comes as a total surprise, but I can feel it when it's starting. My um, stride pattern sort of shortens and uh, I basically have to stop. Think, think about what I'm doing, reset myself and uh, basically count to three and just carry on. As long as you do it the same way every time, it, it seems to work, but I think counting to three it sounds really it sounds really easy, but when you sort of stand and stuck to the floor and you, you tremor, tremor starts to kick in and uh, you get more and more anxious because you can't move. And uh, being able to just to stand and just calm, just calm down, take a deep breath, count to three and just carry on is just priceless, really. Yeah. I practice Tai Chi and uh, I do quite a bit of yoga as well. So the Tai Chi sort of helps me move more smoothly. It helps me concentrate on my movements in there. How to be taking control of it and uh, controlling my movements rather than the Parkinson's controlling it. Yes, that, that's that's very true. And exercise is uh, one of the number one good thing that one can do. Do you think medication is helping your gait? It's hard to tell because I can't I can't really remember a time now when I didn't take medication. So it's, I've been taking it for quite a long time now, uh, probably over over twelve years at least. I, I think the most noticeable thing was when. I take the non dopamine agonists. I actually noticed when I had a big, a big increase about five or six years ago, and that made a big difference in my uh, my ability to walk. It made, made it made it better. I think, I think it's just one of those things with medication. You just have to keep on top of it and, uh, and make sure that your um, your consultant's aware of what's going on. Similar to what you reported, we see that some aspect of a gait gets better with the traditional medication for Parkinson's disease, and those aspects are mainly gait speed and stride length. But there are also aspects that are more variable, such as balance during walking. It's not necessarily getting better with medication, and that is where also a regimen that is looking at exercise together with medication is is really needed to kind of keep the gait problems under control and keep freezing from happening. I have a, like a running watch that I wear for, for running. It actually tells me what the stride length is. I try to increase it every time I go out just to keep it as wide as I can get it, really, without being too comfortable. And so it, it seems you are using cueing yourself as well. Do you have any advice for other people experiencing gait problems? Exercise, exercise, exercise as much as you can. And then um, try... Um, Balancing on one foot—that's always quite interesting. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. So sort of anywhere you can just balance on one foot for as long as you can, really, and then just swap over and just do the other leg. Another one I found is um, standing on the step sideways on and just like using the power of your legs to push you up. One-legged squats, I think they're called, just to strengthen your legs up. Obviously, obviously, I tell people to run, run as much as they can, but not everybody can run. Not everybody enjoys running. So I've also found walking football as well that helps. Because your posture is obviously affected by Parkinson's, and uh, I think it, it gives you more of a strong, stronger core as well, like being able to sort of keep yourself stood upright. But the best advice I could, I could give to people who haven't got Parkinson's is just if you're looking after someone who has Parkinson's or you live with someone who has Parkinson's, just watch what what they're doing and watch watch how they how they walk. And, and if they aren't walking straight properly, just tell them because you won't mind. I never do. I, I sort of I thank people for doing it because you actually don't realise that it's, it's happening. Martina, are there any um, recent studies into um, the overall problem of uh, gait and posture and coping with day-to-day? Yes, there is a lot of research going on, so I'm going to try to split it a little bit by domains as well. There has been for many years just a lot of research on characterizing gait problems and balance problems in people with Parkinson's disease, and originally 
researchers have been using uh, big gate laboratories with all sorts of technologies, such as uh, force plate, motion analysis cameras, to detect those gate characteristics that were most impaired in people with Parkinson's disease at different stage um, of the uh, disease. Although these studies are reliable and uh, they can pick up very subtle gate changes uh, even early on, they're only capturing a brief snapshot over 24 hours of daily life when a person is coming into the lab and likely performing much better than during the rest of the day. So in the past years, due to the development and improvement in wearable technology, researchers have been able to send sensors um, at the home of people. And we've been able to characterize those gate problems and balance problems and turning during daily life. Finding that more than the quantity of gait and quantity of activity, sometimes is the quality that is different compared to age-matched um, healthy subject during daily life. So maybe you might be taking the same amount of steps than your wife, the quality of those steps is different between you two. And that's regarding kind of characterization and also where the field in where I work as well. But I feel we are only scratching the surface because the data that you can collect at home, for example, for seven days or 14 days, really a large amount of data. And we need to have better way to look at it, better way to explore the variability during the days, explore also variability due to the wearing off of medication and wearing um, and, and then on suddenly. Those information could also be very important to feedback to the clinician as well, treating you, for example, so they can have an overall picture of what has been going on the month before your appointment and maybe speak with you about tailoring a certain medication, if that would be helpful. And really, it's, there is a lot of effort in, uh, um, in understanding better gait problems during daily life and occurrence of freezing of gait during daily life. There are also a lot of studies looking at exercise and how exercise can improve gait in people with Parkinson. And when we go to exercise, there are some type of exercise that you can do at maybe an early stage, a later stage. There is a little bit for everybody. And also the important thing and the exercise that you might want to do is what you like and what you know you can stick at. So don't start with like expectation of exercising or doing something because the doctor is telling you, but do the exercise that you like as well. So don't forget to bring that into the equation. Right now, regarding exercise, we are looking at how high-intensity exercise on a treadmill can potentially decline the progression of Parkinson early on when people are not taking medication yet. In our lab, we are doing rehabilitation to improve turning, the way you turn at home, and we are targeting later stages of the disease. We found that turning at home is, uh, um, is difficult. People with Parkinson turn at slower speed, they need more steps, and sometimes it can trigger freezing. 
So we're really trying to come up with an exercise program that can alleviate the rigidity of the overall body and potentially reteach people how to turn first with your head, then with your shoulder, then with your trunk, and then with your feet. It's not easy. We just started this rehabilitation intervention and we don't know if it's working yet, but uh, we are in the middle of a trial and we hope to to see what in the future it could improve turning during daily life. David, did you know when you were diagnosed that gait was going to be a problem? Martina, when, when I was diagnosed, I, I didn't realise anything was going to be a problem. I tried to block it off for quite a while and uh, nobody mentioned the uh, the funny walks that you might develop and uh, nobody ever tells you these things. But one, one of the things that I do to sort of raise awareness of it is um, I actually run a, a park run group in the UK and we uh, sort of, we, uh, we go around different Different runs every 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 weekend, and we actually see if anybody can spot who spot who's got Parkinson's and who, who hasn't. I'm the only one who runs who runs with this group who has Parkinson's, but they don't always pick me. It just goes to show you how much exercise helps, but also um, how unpredictable Parkinson's can be. When you become more aware of your gait problems, did you seek help from any doctor, or did you got any advice? I mentioned it to the, to, to my doctor when I actually seen, but I've actually seen them um, neurophysios, they call them, sort of physiotherapists who specialise in like neurological conditions. And my my uh, this this will make you laugh. My neurophysio actually takes me for a run every time I go and see her. She takes me for a run. She runs behind me just to see how, how I'm moving and. Uh, it's quite good because I, 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 can't, I can't see many physios who, who do that for you. She uh, helps me to realise which we turn I'm not doing properly because I, I think that's one of the things that, that you've mentioned before, Martin, is that you, you sort of lose your, lose your arm swing. You, you, you walk, but you don't swing your arms. I, I, I do now because I, I concentrate on making sure, that, making sure that I do actually swing them. And that makes, it, that makes walking easier. Do you have any um, tips, Martin, on the sort of tips or things that you, things that you found about um, helping sort of get through gait problems and uh, is there any, any like things I could try? I think you're doing most of the good things, uh, exercising and running and keeping a positive attitude. You also mentioned queuing, so I would try to keep up with the queuing and maybe switch the modality. Sometimes listen to music, other times maybe try a tactile cue or even a visual cue, a little laser light, if that could be helpful. Maybe switching them could also reduce something that could be um, habituation of a cue, and then uh, one cue might lose um, efficacy over time. But definitely keep up with the exercise and what you are doing, because uh, it sounds intense as well, your kind of exercise, which is good. I actually, I actually find the more intense, the better. The more intense I can make it, the better, the better it is. Yeah, that's very interesting. Also, what we uh, suggest to to our participant in the lab as well is uh, to speak with other people who have Parkinson's disease as well. And uh, there are several support groups all over. And there is one um, organization that is the World Parkinson Coalition that is uh, really bringing together scientists and people affected by Parkinson's disease. They have meetings every couple of years where both scientists and people with Parkinson participate. There are some talks that are on lay language and some that are more scientific. And I found it is the best conference I go to 
because you see the interaction and I think that should happen even more often possibly to really listen to what people are reporting to be most difficult during daily life um, and try to build up teams composed not only by the neurologists, but as also you said, by the physical therapies and often also speech therapy and cognitive therapy together to have the best treatment. I think one of the, one of the things about speech therapy, I, I've done um, speech therapy class, classes. That I found the best the best approach is to do like a group session. We, we, I've been to group sessions of uh, speech therapy, but unfortunately, because uh, because we're all, uh, I think, predominantly male, it tends to become a competition for. And if you, if you can imagine competitive speech therapy, it's just it's quite a, it's quite a strange thing to think about. But it, it's all about who can. Uh, Sort of shout the loudest, or uh, sort of keep the keep, hold the breath longer, and things like that. We just everything turns into a competition. So you brought up a very good point, which is the social component. There are also studies finding that exercising in group um, has better effect compared to exercising one on one. So it's really the social component of being engaged with other people and. It's also accountability to go and exercise with them that pushes you to do even more. I'd just like to thank you, Martina, for um, all the, the insight that you've, that you've given me about GIT and uh, the problems it can cause with Parkinson's. Because, as I said earlier, I was never told that these kind of things happened. I had no idea. It came as a bit of a shock when I, when I first got stuck in there. It's hard to describe to people how it actually feels. I think the, uh, the research that you've done on uh, cueing and uh, tactile stimulation and things like that, uh, it'll definitely help people with Parkinson's to sort of cope. Thank you, David, for your time in talking with me and really just bringing me to your journey from where you were diagnosed to now. Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of the European Parkinson's Disease Association, the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe. For the latest research and information on Parkinson's, visit epda.eu.com. This episode was funded by Charco Neurotech, the company behind Q1, a wearable medical device designed to help alleviate gait impairment and support movement in people with Parkinson's. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure others can find us. If you'd like to share your story with Parkinson's Life magazine, get in touch through Facebook, Twitter, or by emailing editor at parkinsonslife.eu. Keep a lookout for our next episode, and until then, take care.